Sport. It's your passion. It's your obsession. You want informed opinion and 150 years of wisdom? Know it all with the Sporting Life Podcast. Hello. After the cancellation of the 2001 Cheltenham Festival because of a nationwide outbreak in the countryside of the agricultural virus foot and mouth disease, plus a series of corruption allegations and rumours, British racing was in need of a tonic at the festival in 2002. And though the hugely popular three-time champion hurdler Isterbrack was pulled up in the race which he'd previously dominated, that year's Gold Cup propelled into an adoring spotlight its seven-to-one winner, best mate, and crucially, those around him. His owners, Jim and Valerie Lewis, his jockey, Jim Cullity, though at the time I think we pronounced it Culotti, and particularly his trainers, Henrietta Knight, and her husband, Terry, and their stable, Terry Biddlecombe, and their stables at Wantage in Oxfordshire. Ultimately, best mate went on to emulate steeplechasing's great Golden Miller, Hatton's Grace and Arkle by winning three Gold Cups. Golden Miller went on, of course, to win five. And in 2021, Album Photo is scheduled to try to join that elite club. I'm Cornelius Lysett, and in this episode of the Festival Greats podcast from SportingLife.com, I'm really pleased that Henrietta Knight, Hen Knight, has been able to join us. Hen, thank you very much. Hope you're well. I'm very well. Thank you, Cornelius. And I don't think I'm exaggerating that that racing could have just needed something in 2002. And my goodness, best mate and uh, you and and Terry and everyone else really delivered. And and best mate became, I think you've described him and people generally described him as the people's horse. Yes, he was. He was very popular with the public. We had great times training him and we were very lucky to have him in our yard but uh, everything went right and but didn't go right the year before when obviously the Arkle was cancelled due to the foot and mouth and no Cheltenham. Yeah because you were favoured I think for the Arkle that year weren't you? We were. The race I always would loved would have loved to have won but it obviously never was going to be. So the, the, the Arkle a particular favourite because of which horse it was named after or because of the actual two-mile novice chase itself? Well, I think a bit mixture of both because um, I think Arkle was the greatest horse I've ever seen racing and I was lucky enough to have seen him. And um, I also love two-mile races. I love a bit of speed with the jumping. And in your your memoir, Hen, Not Enough Time, My Life with Terry Biddlecombe, um, it's a, a lovely memoir, if you don't mind me saying, and there was a great quote about the best mate story no one could have written the script in advance, you said. It was just a lovely, a lovely story. Well, they couldn't have written the, written the script, could they? I mean, it just happened. And uh, Terry was instrumental in making it happen. And you talk about the giddy heights that, uh, that you all felt. The which? The giddy heights that you felt. Yes, I mean, we, we just had a fantastic three or four years and um, I would never have been up there with the with the good horses and the top trainers if it hadn't been for best mate and if it hadn't been for Terry and all his knowledge. If I if I may I'm going to take you back to the point to point in Ireland in 1999 where you first saw best mate and apparently you and Terry turned to each other the horse actually was pulled up but you turned to each other and said we've got to have him. 
I was a bit surprised by, I, we did love the horse when we saw him walking around in the paddock. Well, if you call it a paddock, it was just a muddy field with a little bit of fencing around it. And we did love the look of him because he did sort of seem to walk through it and very proudly, better than any of the other horses. But um, I was a bit surprised when um, he only went a, a circuit and a half and then pulled up and came gaily trotting back and Terry said we've got to have this horse he's going to be a champion I, I couldn't quite see what he'd seen in the horse but he'd watched every single fence through his race glasses and um, he said this horse will do for us so do, do, do you know what it was specifically that this horse will do for us but what, what had he seen through those binoculars that that really got him going he said he loved the rhythm he was in and he loved the way he jumped and his attitude and he, he, he always used to study the point to points very carefully. He could always read a race, and I'm useless at reading races. And um, he, he picked him out straight away. He said, this horse is exceptional. Well, we weren't allowed to buy him that day because the Costellos never sell their horses until they've won a race. And so he, we had to wait patiently for the next, uh, I think it was three or four weeks, until he went in a two-horse race, hidden away somewhere up at Chung in uh, County Galway, and um, beat a mare. And then when he'd won his race, he was for sale. So we dived in and uh, fortunately got in there before anybody else. And the Costello family are famous for as horse traders. Was there quite a lot of negotiation required in order to get best mate? Well, there was quite a lot of negotiation because um, most people selling horses for a lot of money ask more than they expect to get. And then there's a bit of negotiating and you get the price down to sort of a bit of a happy balance. But we left Jim Lewis to do that um, when we got him over there and we got he went into the house with Tom Costello and I don't know what they ended up, what agreement they came to. But anyway, they both came out smiling. And Jim Lewis was very much part of the story, still, still around uh, now. Uh, he was a, a proud Brummie, is a proud Brummie, isn't he? An Aston Villa supporter. How did he come to you? Had he come and said, find me a horse then? Um, well, it wasn't just a horse. I mean, he liked to think he was going to buy a really good horse. I actually trained his very first horse he ever had as a winner. And then he left me and went to Simon Christian. And then he came back to me when I started training again. And um, he, uh, he, I told him that we thought this was an exceptional horse and he ought to buy it. And so he's back with you at West Lockins, your, your stables near Wantage. And did he, was he just the star from the word go? Did you ever have any problems in those early days? Well, he, when he came over from Ireland in the spring, when he was, he'd won his point to point, he came over as a raw four-year-old. Um, we didn't do anything much with him then. He was just a lovely horse and the girls enjoyed riding him out. And then we put him out in the paddocks and he was turned away for the summer. In fact, he went back to Jim Lewis's in the summer and was turned out in the field with Edredon Bleu. The two of them were turned out together. And Jim Lewis had Edredon Blur as well. So two star horses of the time. And then he came back and he won a bumper, didn't he, at Cheltenham. And he started this love affair with Cheltenham, only ever beaten there once. Yes, they hadn't been the intention to run him at Cheltenham to start with. We wanted to run him in an EBF hurdle at Newbury. But these hurdles have to be for horses that are by stallions that are registered in the EBF um, list. And it so happened that Un Desperado, Westmate's father was not registered and so we had to go over to plan b which was um, a bumper at um, Cheltenham and rather a good bumper because it was a quite a good meeting and rather a good bumper which he won which he won in in good style and 
in fact, so his Cheltenham record was he won that race. Uh, he uh, obviously won his three gold cups. He was only beaten there in the Supreme Novices hurdle, wasn't he? That that season. Yeah, he should have won that too. Oh, she says emphatically. What? 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 Why? Why do you say that so emphatically? Well, it wasn't one of. Um... Jim's finest ride, Jim Cullity's finest rides, and um, that that was the only time Terry was fuming with the jockey afterwards, because he said the horse should have won. Um, anyway, just things went went the wrong way, and he went a long way round and didn't get a clear run. And I was quite pleased to be second, but not so Mr. Biddlecombe, who was a, a bit of a perfectionist around Cheltenham, and uh, he thought we should have won that race. And Terry had been who sadly died in in 2014 had been champion jockey three times uh and you and him the combination of of you 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 were always perceived hen as as the biology teacher who'd become a, a racehorse trainer dare i say you were you were you were always portrayed as the prim and proper miss knight and terry was uh, uh, was somebody who loved a joke and his language could be quite ripe on on occasions as well so it, people didn't immediately put you together um no but i uh, having been locked up in lo a lot of schools with a lot of children and teaching i quite enjoyed a bit of fun as well and i loved terry's humor and i, I loved his stories and i loved racing and i'd always watched terry riding um the blonde bomber as they called him and i used to go down to the last fence at cheltenham and sometimes at Newbury just to watch him jumping it because I was sort of uh, passionately um, fond of watching him ride. And and I thought he was a bit of a superstar, which he always was. And well, you were a fan and he had a lot of fans. I know that his riding days finished in 1974, but uh, I, I, I was a massive fan as well. One shouldn't underestimate the stature of Terry Biddlecombe with that all that blonde hair in the 60s and 70s. He was a major sporting character, wasn't he? Yeah, he didn't have too much of it left when I got to know him, but um, <laughs> I think he'd been pulled out by quite a few women in those days. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, so you were one of uh, you were one of a few groupies. Uh, well, I was yes, I, I sort of steadied him down a bit, I think, in his older age, and but um, he was fairly outspoken, nevertheless, um, and he hadn't changed his um, his vocabulary. Well, the, the the first time I met you and him, he introduced you to me as a biology teacher who specialised in sex education, he said, with a big grin on his face. <laughs> yes, he, he always liked teasing me about my teaching <laughs> and the human biology teacher. <laughs> and that So that was your subject, was it? Or did you do a few subjects? Yes, that was mostly. And he used to say that I was his, uh, hence my third wife, my, uh, the sterile, the, the, the uh, barren mare. <laughs> oh dear. Well, and, I was and often introduced as that, so it's very flattering, as you can imagine. So, how, how did you take all that? Did you did, did you said you loved his sense of humour? I, I just thought it was I thought it was very amusing. I never particularly wanted children, and I was forty seven when I met Terry, so I was hardly likely to have any when we were together. And but and you, I'm sure you can see how you and Terry were very much part of this best mate story. The 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 the, the fact that you were masterminding this horse. Well, I suppose we were because I mean we did we trained him together, and he was hardly ever out of our sight. Because even though he went to gym the first year, he then um, spent the summers with us after that, and he came in every night, very spoilt, and we. You know, we we sort of nurtured him here. And um, what 
so was he he was obviously a brilliant racehorse best mate what was he like as a as a character you said you spoiled him did he enjoy being spoiled um he was very bossy he always lived with edward on blurred he was very bossy with him um he was always in charge uh, but he was a lovely horse easy horse to ride and Actually, Jackie Jenner did a very good job on him because she used to ride him every day and she adored him and he trusted her. And uh, he was just dead easy to train. I mean, he just did everything the right way. He didn't particularly like having to gallop very hard at home, so he didn't gallop him very much. He um, liked to think he was king of the castle and if he went with other horses that possibly went better than him, you know, he wasn't particularly amused by that. And so we let him do what he liked to do. And you talk about the king of the castle. Another expression you've used is that look of eagles. Now that that's that's quite a that's a uh, from you. You're you're a sort of equine expert. You know what you mean. But what what does that actually mean for 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 those of us outside those circles? Well, I think Arkell had that look as well. They they walk around very proudly when they're walking around the pre parade ring and the paddock, and they they sort of look into the distance with the pricked ears and high, you know, proud head carriage. And, um, you know, they really uh, show themselves off. He, he was a show off the horse. So uh, if, he, if he, people, I'm sure, uh, people asked you a million different questions about Best Mate. I'm sure one of them was, if Best Mate had been a human, what, what, what would he have been like? Who would he have been like? Uh, what would you make, uh, what judgment would you make on that? A lot of people said he'd be like sort of Robbie Williams and he was sort of, he just was a, he was a showman and he, 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 the, the public adored him. So he's done well as a hurdler. He's uh, doing really well as a, a chaser. Uh, the Arkle didn't take place that year because of the foot and mouth. At what point, as the Arkle's obviously two miles, uh, at what point did you think that the Blue Ribbon, the three and a quarter mile gold cup, was, was going to be the target, that that's the sort of thing you were going to be able to aim at? Although he pulled up in the point to point and only went about two miles in the point to point, um, Terry was always convinced that he was a stayer and the way he worked. He didn't work with speed at home. He just worked as though he just relentlessly just kept galloping. And uh, he, Terry and I both believed he was a three-mile chaser. And then we, um, when we ran him in the King George the first year, which is three miles, as you know, and rather a quick three miles, um, he... Um, Florida Pearl beat him the first year and again Terry wasn't very pleased because he said he he was he should have been um, ridden for as a stayer and not not as a speed horse um, and I think uh, AP got a few bollockings that day as well. So Terry uh, wasn't 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 worried about who who he was going to um, give advice to whether it was AP McCoy Jim Cullity or or anyone. No 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 he, I left him entirely to talk to the jockey gave orders because I'd never ridden in a race and he knew what he was talking about and how a horse should be ridden. Um, and uh, I, I left it to him. And what was it like, obviously, when you're training the horses, you say he was an absolute pleasure to train. You found the watching of the races much harder, didn't you? Because this was very much part of the story that Henriette is going to go and hide in the loo during the race. I know, I never, never hid in the loo in my life. Um, I mean, awful place to hide anyway, and very smelly. <laughs> but I, um, I did often used to walk about and sort of watch races from on my own, from maybe banks or sort of close to buildings, and, and not amongst people. But when Best Mate ran in his gold cups, I actually watched it in the press tent, 
because in those days the press tent was very quiet and there were only three people in it the first year. And then I had to go back. I'm very superstitious and I had to go back there the second year and the third year. But by the third year, it had got full up and um, not helped by the remarks Mick Easterby was making over my shoulder about how we were running in the race, especially when he came around the bend and he said that we were beaten. So, that, that, you know, you're beaten, you're beaten. So, so that I'm loving that image. Mick Easterby, the veteran trainer, you sort of turning away from the television and him teasing you, saying, "Oh, things are going wrong" or whatever. Was that what 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 was happening? Um, well, the things. I mean, I could see the race, but I, I was just praying that things were going to go the right way. But then you get, you know, people telling you how things are going. I never watched it with Terry. I left Terry to watch close to the course. I think he watched on the on the grass just by the by the finishing close to the finishing to the last fence and the finishing line but um superstition again i wouldn't dare watch it with him i well, never watched any race a... i never watched a race with him really because mm. because you'd just rather be in your own little world yes rather be on my own little world and digest it all afterwards and and watch the television replays so was that is that 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 was basically nerves for yourself and on behalf of the horse was it? Nerves, yeah. I was very anxious. I was always, particularly with best mate. I didn't I didn't want him to get hurt, and I didn't want him to get beaten and spoil his image with the public and with in the racing world. Um, I just hoped everything was going to turn out the right way. And it's just as well that first year that you you wore a an outfit at Cheltenham that you liked because it was blue suit and pearls and I think Terry always wore the same tie. Uh, that superstition went down to your clothing. Yeah, we did. We kept the same clothes every year and hang them up in the cupboard after the Gold Cup each year. Well, I hang mine up. I don't know what Terry did with him. He's the most untidy man I'd ever been with. And um, but um, I've still got my suit. Not that I get into it now. I put on so much. I'll have to sell it one day as an antique. And did you have the same house guests as well every year for Cheltenham because that was all part of the thing? Yes, we had Andrew Coonan, who was a solicitor from, from Ireland. He came and stayed with us. The he was there the first year and he came every year, but he was not allowed to stay for the Gold Cup. He was only allowed to be here there for Tuesday and Wednesday. Then we sent him home because he didn't watch the first Gold Cup. So he was, he was not allowed to stay for, for the Friday's racing. And I'm fascinated by superstitions. Have you got lots of superstitions around blue suits and pearls and lots of other things? Um, I am ridiculously superstitious, yes. Well, give us um, a few. And the, uh, the, my, the worst superstition I had with racing was I wanted to see a load of straw on the road or in the morning of a race, because they always say, see straw, you draw, see hay, you pay. And I was also, we, we, we hadn't, I, I was so worried about not seeing any straw that day that um, I got the um, the local um, ma the local man the snow the forage man to bring it in in a, on a tray on a lorry before we left. So I saw the lorry of straw coming into the yard, <laughs> and then also uh, you know things like I don't like magpies, single magpies. They, I don't they give me a nasty feeling. Oh, one for sorry, two for joy, three for a girl, four for a boy. And I didn't, I always remember that thing with magpies. Um, no, I, I was, I was always very superstitious.
and, and I don't mean to drag you back to another um, toiletry analogy, but I remember you 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 telling me once or telling a group of us in the media that if you had to go to the loo during the afternoon, you always went into the first uh, cubicle. You wanted to be in trap one, as you put it. God, I remember that one. I do remember going to trap two once and finding two girls in it, though. That was rather surprising. Oh, right. Well, as long as Terry wasn't with them. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... The, the 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 race so the races themselves so once we're now in the big time in the gold cup big time um that that first gold cup he was a seven to one shot what what were your expectations going into the the 2002 race well in the first gold cup i would have been delighted if we'd been in the first four but um terry very coolly said uh, i expected him to win well i'm <laughs> sure he didn't really but he pretended he had and um well, then after that, you know, one wanted to try and do what one had done the year before and tried to train him the same way. And that, I think almost the second race, second Gold Cup was probably his easiest Gold Cup. And the third one was a bit of a, was quite a strain. Well, because of the challenges up the hill? Oh, no, well, I mean, just the lead, the build up to it and the and the anxiety and the and the pressure. Right, um, right. The, just going back to that first one, the, the the TV pictures of you running down to to um, to join Terry and to celebrate after the horse had won those became iconic pictures of you of you and and Terry Biddlecombe. Yeah, he did deserve a big hug, didn't he? So I gave him one. Yeah, and uh, it was a wonderful moment. I mean, I never dreamt that I would ever win a Gold Cup, and sadly, my mother had died before the Gold Cup the year before, and she seen best mate when we bought him and she'd always adored the horse but, um, anyway that wasn't to be but it was a fantastic day and tears rolling down cheeks but including from terry i think and they weren't rolling down my face because i never do cry but um terry terry cries used to cry at the drop of a hat so uh, i mean he there was he was you know he was streaming tears down his face and the, the last two years, he's even worse. <laughs> and you, you talked about the pressure in the build-up to the third one. So can, can, can you describe how that, that, that pressure did feel so strong? Um, the build-up was, 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 it was quite intense, but you know, we did have other horses to train and we didn't wish to push all our eggs in one basket and just um, train best mate. We had to look after all the others. And we had some lovely horses in the yard, but I mean, obviously, the, the there were no um, there were the, social media was not what it is today. So we didn't have all these um, texts and messages coming through all the time. People just kept ringing up or sending faxes on a fax machine or or calling in. So there was there were a lot of people coming to see us, a lot of people coming to see the horse, and um, you know, obviously, wanted everything to go right. We even got. Um, security in the yard for three nights before the race and we're at night watchmen and everything which drove Terry mad but um we, we had all that laid it all on against my superstition because um we hadn't had them the first two years um but it worked out we were very lucky and the expectation from the public, you've talked about the public a few times, he was the people's horse. So the expectation going to that Gold Cup in, in 2004 was sky high. The TV cameras must have been following you there. The radio reporters, I remember being one of those with their microphones, 
uh, newspaper people and magazine people ringing you up all the time. So from that side of it, the pressure was uh, was intense. I enjoyed that. I mean, I always got on very well with the press and I liked people coming to see the horse. And we were fortunate to be in the limelight. A lot of people, you know, never reach those heights. And, you know, there's a lot about luck in life, isn't there? We It was just, it was great. We felt we were wanted. But, um, you know, I, I didn't find that hard at all. I like people. And I remember coming to your place where, where you still are based now and still a different sort of training horses. Um, and it was a, a real sort of farmyard type feel. It wasn't it wasn't the sort of shiny, uh, shiny stables like Newmarket or other others. It was it was a farmyard that you'd sort of built and built. It was. It's just we added to the farmyard. It's just sort of like old McDonald's farm around here. And the horses quite enjoyed it because they don't like being regimented too much. And uh, but probably nowadays, if I wanted to train again, it wouldn't pass any of these strict regulations for security because um, a lot of people could have walked into this yard, um, climbed over the fences, walked up the yard. And nowadays with this lockdown, there are people everywhere. Can't keep them out. <laughs> and do I, is my memory playing tricks or were there sort of chickens and geese and um, various other, were there various sort of, as well as the horses, I, I seem to remember chickens or geese or other things wandering around? Well, there were chickens and ducks and geese and everything yes and um dogs every, there were ponies you know it was but, the, but horses do like variety and they did they are happy here and they do funnily enough they do relax i think they feel sort of part of it and um best mate was a very relaxed horse at home and very relaxed in his stable and um he always seemed a happy horse and i think if, if you got, and the yard was happy if you have happy yard you have happy horses and people will be surprised to hear that that you have written and spoken of the fact that he wasn't necessarily, although he was a brilliant champion, he wasn't the most robust of horses. So that was why he didn't race all that often. You you plotted a relatively light campaign for him, for which you received criticism. Yes, he always used to put his best foot forward in a race. And in fact, he was never out of the first two when we raced him. And... Um, you know, he probably put a lot more into a race than he ever did at home. And so then he paid the penalty because he was always fairly tired and um, it took quite a lot of weight off him. And um, he needed time to recover to get the sparkle back. Because I think if we kept on racing him, he wouldn't have had that um, determination and eagerness on a race course. So um, we gave him plenty of time bef between each race. And, and, then, uh, and then, of course, we got onto the situation. We hardly ran him at all. But now you see Willie Mullins with album photo. He runs him once a year. Um, you know, he's he's taken it to the extreme. Well, I'm just going to look at, at the form book. So you you won the Cheltenham Gold Cup in 02. Then he ran at Huntingdon. The following season ran at Huntingdon, uh, winning there, the King George, and then Cheltenham. Then the following season, it was Huntingdon and, and Beaton, actually, on that occasion, then Leopardstown and Cheltenham. And then the 4-5 season, uh, which he, he ended up not running in the Gold Cup, uh, it was Exeter and then Leopardstown. People were people were quite rude, weren't they? They said, um, you know, Hen and Terry, they're wrapping up this horse in cotton wool. We ought to see him more. I know. They were always said, oh, by the, the, who was the horse that was wrapped up in cotton wool? 
what would they say nowadays about some of the other horses that never run? Um, you know, we'd, we had a lot of abuse in those days about never showing him to the public. But, you know, there's only a limited number of miles in any horse on a race course. And there's only a limited number of miles that any athlete can run on, you know, on the track. And you've got to look after those golden days and preserve the animals and the, and the, and the athletes for the big time. And, and in that memoir to which I referred earlier, Not Enough Time, you, you described him as you felt as though you were the keeper of a precious jewel. I, lo I love that thought that you, you, that you were going to, whatever you were going to do, you were going to make certain that that precious jewel was going to be able to shine on those big occasions. And that's what we that's what we tried to do. He was a jewel to us. He was a jewel in our crown here, and we and we um, we wanted to keep it like that and do the best we could to get him to the race course, hundred percent, which is not easy with any horse. But fortunately, he was a very clean legged horse, and he he was a very clean winded horse. And nowadays, there's so much trouble with horses with breathing troubles, and um, we were very fortunate. Best mate didn't suffer for any, any of that. And you, you talked about abuse. Is that is that sort of with a very small A, people sort of whispering in racecourse bars and things like that? Or, or did people actually write to you and say, bloody Miss Knight, get this horse racing? When people used to say, get, get him racing, we didn't take any notice. Terry just said, don't listen to them. They don't know what they're doing. They couldn't train a racehorse. <laughs> And I, I suppose it was a compliment in a way because they couldn't think of any, any other way to criticise him. No. Well, I mean, if anybody, any horse does well, the first thing that the press do is find holes in it. And uh, whether it's on the flat or, or national hunt racing, they always have to emphasise the weaknesses and they don't give the horses nearly enough praise or say nearly enough nice things about them, I think. And it's, it's hard, hard for some of the owners sometimes because they just find holes in them. And if you've got a wonderful horse, you, you, want to, you want to, you know, enjoy it. And there was always a suspicion. He won three Cheltenham Gold Cups and only Golden Miller, three out of five, three and then four and five and, and Hatton's Grace and Arkell. They're the only other horses to win three. There was always just a slight feeling I felt. Maybe I was just a fan of Best Mate that... that he wasn't, though the people loved him, that the, the sport itself didn't necessarily always love him in the way he did. did. Did you ever get that feeling or am I being a bit chippy on his behalf? We always felt that the, 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 the public loved him and that we had a lot of people behind us and that rather sort of spurred us on um, because he, he was a wonderfully, wonderful looking horse and he did have this charisma about him. Um, and... Possibly we, we were rather hard. We didn't let people see him enough. But um, and probably nowadays, everything would have been videoed at home and people would be looking at him every day of the week on the videos and watching him doing his training. But um, He'd have had a camera in his box. Well, he would have done. I know he would have, you know, pictures of him eating, sleeping, drinking, everything. Yeah. Um, but, you know, those days we kept things a bit more secretive. And so people longed to see us take the wraps off and take the cotton wool off. And what about the, the sport itself? Do, do, do people have has best mate been given the credit that he he deserved? Because his rating, every horse gets a rating, is not as high as lo lots of other Cheltenham Gold Cup winners. 
but he probably wasn't given a, a, as high a rating as he deserved because he hadn't beaten horses in handicaps like a lot of the top horses have. Um, we never ran him in a handicap because he would have been top weight and we didn't see any point in it. Um, but Arkel ran in, you know, in, in, a, in big handicaps and I mean, he shouldered huge weights and he obviously was a tremendous horse. Um, but, you know, that's just the way it was and the way things have changed and the racing's changed and the, you know, the programme book's changed and, and the ground has changed and the number of runners has changed. Everything's changed. So, you know, we're in the modern world. Arkel was in the world some years before. But when you joined Arkell and Haddon's Grace and Golden Miller on that pedestal, a three-time winner, that you as a, a lover of racing and me as a lover of racing at the time, I remember feeling that really, it felt really good that there was, you know, we were talking about, people would talk about Arkell, but they talk about best mate as well. When who talks about best mate as well? So what, what, I, what, what, what I loved about when what was great was when he won his third one they were talking about him as a in such a exalted place in heritage yes well i mean i mean they were they were forever trying to compare best mate and arkel they weren't the same type of horse at all i mean arkel was probably a far better horse than best mate as a racehorse but and they were i say they were different times and different races and um but it was great to be talked about in the same breath as Arkel, um, even though Best Mate may not have been as good, nearly as good as him. But um, Arkel was the better horse, no doubt about it. Um, what about looks? I think Best Mate would have been the more handsome, wouldn't he? Um, yes. Um, Arkel was a very proud horse, but he had a much higher head carriage. And he, he, he when he galloped, he galloped with his head up in the air. And he jumped in a different shape to Best Mate. And he made one or two howling mistakes, I remember, in the past. I and mean, he, in the, I remember him making holes in fences from time to time, but he just kept galloping and he had just some amazing way of going. And Best Mate was a brilliant jumper, wasn't he? He was. He was an outstanding jumper. Um, Terry's great thing was let the fences come to you. Well, they just came to Best Mate and, you know, you never worry that he was going to fall because he was just, it was so natural to him. And he was so quick away from the fences. And the last Gold Cup, when he got um, nearly got boxed in on the, the bend, um, and then he came through and he put in this fantastic jump at the second last fence, which just gained him lengths. And, um, you know, again, it was jumping. And jumping is the name of the game. If you don't jump, you don't win. And he was going to go, wasn't he, for the fourth Gold Cup in mm. um, in 05. But, and I remember a big thing. I remember you, you, you had to sort of make statements because the horse... You pulled the horse out. Yeah, well, unfortunately, we took him to work at um, Mick Shannon's gallops at Ilsley, which we always did on the grass. And um, when he pulled up, there was blood coming out of his nose. And so he'd obviously broken a, a blood vessel and um, things weren't right. And it turned out that he'd had, a, um, had a, an infection in his lungs. And unfortunately, that weakened him for the rest of his life. Although when he, when he came back after his summer's rest, we worked him again there was never any sign of the same problem and he was examined by all the vets and he was pronounced 100% but I think underneath it all he must it must have weakened him this infection that he had because he'd never had infections before and that leads us to Exeter 
1st of November 2005, uh, a, a desperately sad day for racing, for, for you and everybody around Best Mate, and for those legions of fans, and um, pulled up. And then he had this, what's presumed to have been an enormous heart attack at, at Exeter. Yes. I mean, we never had a post-mortem from the horse because Jim Lewis wouldn't have a post-mortem. But um, my vet always considered he probably, what was called, uh, ruptured his aorta, which is the main artery to the heart, which is the way the way he died very much um, showed, looked like just an internal hemorrhage. And um, he thinks rather than a heart attack, heart actually stopping then and there, he probably had a, had a, had a ruptured aorta which is quite common in, with, with horses and with athlete, with, with people too. And so to go from those three gold cups to, to the story coming to an, an abrupt end, how, how hard was that for all of you? Oh, it was very hard. I mean, I was in a state of shock that day. And um, well, I think the whole of the people on the race course were in shock. But um, it was a very sad end because he was such a beautiful horse and he, you know, he, he didn't deserve to go so early in his life. But um, he wouldn't have felt any, he wouldn't have known anything. And it was just, it was just a, it was just a sad, sad end. Yeah. And there was a great outpouring of, of grief on his behalf from the, from, uh, and uh, that uh, he did have, people adored him. I remember they absolutely adored him. A couple of quick questions, Hen, before we go about the 2021 Gold Cup. Album Photo is now looking to to join Best Mate and the others. Uh, what's your well, analysis of Album Photo? Well, he, he's another horse who obviously loves Cheltenham. He's a very different looking horse to Arkle and Best Mate. Um, he's, he's, he's a different stamp, as, again, you know, in confirmation. But he... Um, He's obviously got a tremendous engine to him, and he's at his best when he goes to Cheltenham. Um, I've, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I don't think he's the most outstanding jumper, but so far he hasn't fallen at Cheltenham. He has fallen. He's fallen in a hurdle race, but um, he's obviously his jumping has improved with age, and he's got his technique has improved. And Paul Townend does a great job with riding him and understands him, and obviously. Willie's horses are flying machines when they get to the festival. Um, and he's looked after him. And, you know, if he wins a third Gold Cup, he deserves to win a third Gold Cup because they've they've treated him the same way, like a jewel, so that we've treated our best mate. And although you don't train uh, with a public trainer's licence anymore, you, you train to the extent you help horses improve their jumping. And I know one of the horses who's jumping you have helped is champs champ will be seen as the big british hope and of course i have a very soft spot for champ because he's closely related to best mate champ's mother is best mate's sister so um you know it would be lovely to see that family um scoring again at cheltenham i mean he won last year he won the rsa chase but um it'd be great to see him winning a gold cup because it would sort of quite, quite a tingle down my spine, I think, if he did that. It would bring back all the best mate memories. He's a different type of horse to best mate. He doesn't jump. He doesn't find jumping as easy as best mate. Um, but he, I think he's probably got a, a greater engine. I mean, I think he's got a t fantastic engine, this horse. Um, 
so we're interested to see what happens. Yeah, I, I, you've lavished play, praise on on Champ. I, I think you've you've made very favourable comparisons with Uncle Best Mate. Yes, um, it's a family I've obviously followed quite closely, the Best Mate family, um, and uh, you know it would be a bit of a fairy story, wouldn't it, if he if he he emulated his uncle, isn't it? Yes. And his jumping was noticeably good, noticeably better uh, after plenty of tuition from 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 you. Just you have quite a lot. Of, you have plenty of horses around the place still, and trainers send them to you to to, to for um, for a bit of tuition. Well, I'm fascinated by how horses jump. I mean, some people might just laugh at it because you know either a horse jumps or it doesn't jump. But I think in the old and in the old days, a lot of the trainers. They schooled their horses maybe just once in the season. And if they got from A to B, like my ex, my neighbour who taught me a great deal, Tim Forster, he had a list. He ticked it off. If each horse had schooled, he's okay. He's schooled. And once he got them over the four fences on the downs, that was it. He didn't jump him again. doesn't matter how he jumped them, as long as he got to the other side. But nowadays, people are very much more particular about how a horse jumps. And... Um, to me, it's something that interests me a great deal, having possibly, because I've come through the eventing world and seen how horses are trained and taught to jump. And I think that um, one can improve quite a few of the racehorses that are in training by giving them a bit more tuition. And so they come here and uh, they go jump without a jockey, because Terry always said it was the jockeys that made them make mistakes. And they jump a lot loose and they get confidence and confidence is the key to jumping in a race the horse is confident it's it's amazing how much better it is and um you know champ's been here and we start him off from scratch again over in over the poles on the loose and um nico de boinville's been over and schooled him and he's done a great job on him and it's just rather rather fun to see him it was very satisfying to see him jump so well at Newbury on Saturday. But whether he'll you know, do the same thing at Cheltenham, who knows? Um, he has fallen at Cheltenham. So we just keep our fingers crossed. And am I right in thinking you converted a tennis court, an old tennis court, into a, a, an area where you give some of these horses their tuition? That's right. It was an old tennis court that was um, double tennis court. There was a beautiful old house that used to be in Lockinge. And when that was pulled down and the gardens were all um, disbanded, as you might say, or just left to rack and ruin, the tennis court was still there. And Reg Hobbs, who trained Battleship to win the Grand National in 1938, he, he retired to Lockinge and was breaking in horses for people and riding young horses. And he'd been working in America with a man called Ambrose Clark, who was a very famous man in America. And Reg used a loose jumping school in America, and he persuaded the owners of the old garden at Lockinge to um, build a loose jumping school on the old tennis court on the exactly the same um, design and dimensions. And that's where I, I saw it all as a child from the age of 11 onwards. I used to watch Reg jumping horses. So I learned, I learned all my trade with Reg in that loose school. And nowadays, um, other trainers have copied it and got, we have the dimensions. And um, Gordon Elliott's got one exactly the same. And Old Hen School, isn't it? Hmm? 
Doesn't he call it Hen's School Hen's or something like that? No, much more, much ruder than that. He calls it Hen's Ring. <laughs> well, well, well. So, so you have so many interests in the in the festival. You've got the of 2021. You've got the potential history of album photo. You've got Champ, you know so well, and at Hen's Ring at Gordon Elliott, so many of his horses will have been prepared as well. <laughs> well, look, Hen, we, t- time has caught up with us. Thank you so much for for giving your time today. I'm trying to think of a tennis analogy. Game, set and match, all those times to best mate. It's been great hearing how it was game, set and match to best mate uh, on all those occasions. Uh, and thank you so much for talking to us and um, best of luck uh, for the, with, with all these horses in the, in the weeks, months, seasons ahead. Thank you very much. And I much enjoyed talking to you. We've had a lot of laughs and a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this Sporting Life podcast. For more, visit sportinglife.com. And you can find us on social media at Sporting Life on Twitter and at facebook.com forward slash Sporting Life Official.